Welcome to the Today is the Day podcast, where we take a deep dive into popular health topics and empower you to make informed, evidence-based decisions. We offer practical tools and strategies so you can easily integrate what you learn into your everyday habits. Today is the day we're having an important and practical conversation about food labels. We'll be decoding what all those nutrition labels and health claims really mean so that you will never be fooled by the label again. We'll be covering why understanding food labels have become so confusing, what the most common labels actually mean and why most should be ignored, the few labels that are worth knowing and looking out for, how trendy dietary labels are making us blind to what actually matters, and the two most important things to consider when making food choices. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us once again. And thank you for all your amazing reviews of the show. It means so much to us that you're getting so much out of the information that we're sharing. I'm Megan Teltner, nutritionist, two-time best-selling author of Undiet and the Undiet Cookbook, and founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, where we offer a 14-week certification program in culinary nutrition. Joining me, as always, is my life and work partner, Josh Catalis. Hi, everyone. I'm a clinical nutritionist and functional medicine practitioner with a clinic in downtown Toronto. I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Certification Program and an instructor with the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. Today's topic is a big and important one in the health world. We see too many people trying to do their best when it comes to making food choices, but time and time again, they're getting completely confused by the label. I'm really excited about diving into this topic, so let's get started. Great. Looking forward to it. You know what's crazy, Megan? What's crazy, Josh? The number of times you start sentences with me at dinner time with you know what's crazy? I do start many sentences that way. But how much time we spend educating people on health because of how confusing it is these days? Seriously, no one knows what to eat. There's so many labels on every package. And I'd like to think everyone is genuinely trying to make the right choices and do their best, but they keep being fooled by the label. Absolutely. Hopefully by the end of this discussion, people will have a really good understanding of how to find good food, yes. the foods that are packaged, right? Yeah. Because there are some good foods that are packaged. And that it is, as everything we're going through, much, much simpler than it has become or seems to be. Absolutely. So Megan, tell me, about health washing. What is that? Health washing was a term I defined on my blog way back in 2009 or 2010. And what I wrote then still holds true today. And it goes like this. Health washing describes the activities of companies and groups that position themselves as leaders in the crusade for good health while engaging in practices that may be contributing to our poor health. A good product, campaign, or service stands on its own merits, not on a marketing claim, and offers full disclosure of all ingredients and activities. So when I describe or define health washing like that, one of the first products that comes to my mind is cereal. I think cereal boxes are a prime example of health washing with all the claims. And I've heard it said that scientists couldn't invent a more perfect diet than the standard American diet if the goal was to produce disease in a population. So the reason why health washing works is because so many of us are overweight or sick and looking for an easy fix to solve our health problems. So if we can buy a cereal that says it's low in sugar, low in fat, low in calories, fortified with all these nutrients, made from natural ingredients, that sounds like the perfect solution. 
when in fact, it's 100% part of the problem. Right. So once upon a time, many, many, many years ago, there weren't even labels. No, it was just ingredients. Yeah, you'd go out in your backyard, you'd pick some apples, you would Go go out to your farm field and till some wheat. Exactly. You'd have a surplus and you'd go to your neighbor and say, hey, I got some surplus wheat and I've got some surplus apples. What do you have that we can trade? And you'd trade it up. So we've gotten to this situation where, you know, thank God we have like these grocery stores on every corner where we have brought food into the city so that we can eat and be satiated with, you know, while we do other jobs other than farming. But we've run into some other issues. And of course, foods have had to be packaged. And along with packaging, we've added all these labels to them to help inform consumers what's actually in the products. But Mm -hmm. this is the problem that we've run into. So, you know, most labels don't really mean anything. They don't mean anything. And I've always said the one label you really need to focus on is the ingredient list. And there's sort of this common phrase or, or term or lesson used that if you can't pronounce it, don't buy it. I like to take that a step further. And when you're looking at ingredient labels, which I still hold is the most important and maybe the only real relevant information on a packaged food, is that if you wouldn't buy each one of those ingredients on its own, then you shouldn't be buying the food. So if you wouldn't buy a giant jug of corn syrup and vegetable oil and monoglycerides and glucose and fructose and all these fragmented ingredients that you find on processed foods, if you wouldn't stock those in your pantry, don't stock a food made from those ingredients in your pantry. I love that rule. And Michael Pollan has named a lot of these foods Frankenfoods, right? And we want to stay human. We don't want to turn into Frankenstein. So you are what you eat and we got to stick with what's natural. Um, Speaking of natural... That's one of the first things we get really confused about when it comes to labels, when it says 100% natural. Right. So let's go through these labels, the ones that are most common and most confusing. And so if we look at 100% natural, what does that tell us? What does that actually mean? And what can a consumer feel confident in when they buy something that's 100% natural? Yeah. Mercury is 100% natural. Good point. Pharmaceutical drugs, which are derived from plants, are 100% natural. Dirt off the road is 100% natural. Yes. So lots of things can be 100% natural, but what's actually going to work with our body and what's actually good sustenance for us? You know, oftentimes as well with the 100% natural labels, they look a little bit more brown or they're made out of more of like a natural paper or they have like green on them. And that's super misleading to people. Yeah. Absolutely. Or, you know, another common label is made from natural ingredients or made from 100% natural ingredients. And you look at it and it says it contains natural flavor. And I've written an extensive blog post about natural flavor and the fact that there really is no difference between natural and artificial flavor. They both start out with something, ideally a natural ingredient. And it's basically a small tweak in the processing that determines whether it's an artificial or a natural flavoring or coloring in that matter. And so that label 100% natural is meaningless. It is. So don't be fooled by the 100% natural. You got to look for other things, which of course we're going to cover today. Another label that we see in tons of packaged foods, especially because people are dealing with, you know, the battle of the bulge is fat-free and sugar-free. And Foods come in all different ratios of macronutrients. Those macronutrients are carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. And so when you see something that says it is fat-free, 
it usually means that a combination of carbohydrates has been used in its place to mimic the mouthfeel or flavor profile that you get from fat or to mimic the consistency. Uh, When something is sugar-free, typically that sugar is being replaced by an artificial sweetener, which has known uh, excitotoxic or neuroaffective issues. So basically, when you see fat-free or sugar-free, you know you're dealing with a chemical conglomerate, unless, of course, you're looking at an apple, which would be naturally fat-free. Yeah. And also, especially when you see something that should maybe taste like it has fat in it or should taste like it's sweet. So this happens a lot with desserts and, you know, snack food where it's fat free or sugar free. uh, And they're using some of these other chemicals you mentioned. Another really great example is dressings, right? Salad dressing. Yeah. So dressing should be really mainly fat based. But I've seen, you know, many salad dressings out there that are you know, have the on the label that they're fat free, um, and even sugar free. And then the question is, you know, what are they using to actually make it a salad dressing? And the answer is mostly chemicals, right? Artificial sweeteners, and hydrogenated oils, hydrogenated oils. One of the more common labels right now that we're seeing in the same vein as fat free and sugar free is now low sodium, because a lot of menus in certain states in the U.S. have to label the sodium levels. And so to replace the salt or saltiness taste of a food, it's being replaced by monosodium glutamate, which comes under many different names like yeast extract or isolated protein or hydrolyzed protein, which gives a salty taste, but like artificial sweeteners also has excitotoxic or neurotoxic negative effects. I get migraines when I consume that. So these labels don't mean anything. You want to, again, look at that ingredient label and be buying foods that have the most whole unprocessed ingredients as possible. Now, Megan. Yes, Josh. In your first book, Undiet, a fantastic book, if I might say so myself. Why, thank you. There's a really great picture in there. Of you and me having a cup of tea. That one too. (laughs) And also a description of something called the bomb calorimeter. Yes, you love my description of the bomb calorimeter. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Okay, so the bomb calorimeter, and this is leading to another common label, which is low calorie that people look out for. And most people don't know what a calorie is. And so for those of you who don't, my very brief explanation is it's the measure of fuel that a food can produce. And the way they measure how many calories a food has is they put this food into the bomb calorimeter and they light it on fire and they burn it. And the heat from the burning food will travel up a tube and down into a vessel of water. And for every degree that that water increases in temperature, that counts as a calorie. So it kind of makes sense. Like if you think about gasoline, for example, which is another fuel source, you want to know how much that fuel is going to work or burn off to operate, say, a vehicle. But human beings don't operate like a machine. We don't have a bomb calorimeter in our belly. And our calorie burning rate is affected by our age, whether we're male or female, how much physical activity we're doing, what stage of life we're in. You know, I still, as we record this, still breastfeeding our almost two-year-old, that burns calories. And so I need a higher caloric intake while breastfeeding. So there's so many different times in our life where our calorie needs will vary and our calorie burning will vary. So measuring a calorie count as a measure of the health of a food is completely 
irrelevant. And I know that there's a lot of people in the fitness world who will argue calorie in, calorie out. So if you can burn more calories than you're taking in, you'll lean up and could potentially build more muscle or become more fit or lose weight. But those calories operate very differently in the body. So you'd reference this photo in Undiet that you love. Absolutely. Yeah. And in this photo, everything is what, 200 calories? Yes. Yeah. And we've got Doritos there and Skittles and a glass of Coke, but we also have two heads of broccoli. Uh, what else is in there's there? There's chickpeas, there's eggs, there's some whole grain bread. Yeah. So understanding that they're all the same calories, but they're going to work completely different in your body because of what's actually in them and the nutrition level. So you're saying that I don't get the same amount of fuel from three hard boiled eggs as I do from a small, about two tablespoons of gummy bears? Mm. Well, you get the same amount of calories, right? but you get a very different nutritional profile, which makes it very hard for your body to burn some of that depleted food. Yeah. Now, also regarding calories, just a quick note, Megan and I are a perfect example of how it works different in, in different bodies. Because I hate this when, example. <laughs> <laughs> when we were first dating, we would, you know, often eat together and we would eat the same things. And you know, my body structure and body type is that I can eat pretty much anything and I'll just kind of burn it up. Whereas Megan's a little bit different in her body composition. It's a good thing I'm not overly sensitive. Very good thing. So, you know, we would have these massive bowls of oatmeal, which were delicious. We put like, you know, fat in it and, and nuts and seeds and oh my God, all this great stuff. We call it the mulch. We do a grind up. We give it to Finley now, which might explain his body composition, <laughs> but we do grind, we'd grind up flax seeds and sesame seeds and goji berries and put in that coconut oil and the nuts and seeds. And basically I, I put on a lot of weight. <laughs> yeah. So you've learned how to work with your metabolism a lot better since then. And what kind of calorie ratio from which macronutrients works for me and for my body type, I actually need not a ton of macronutrients, not a huge amount of caloric intake, but high nutrient intake. So looking for those really nutrient-dense foods. And for the record, all whole and natural foods have a calorie count. Fats have nine calories per gram. Protein has four calories per gram. And carbohydrates have four calories per gram. So oftentimes when you see something that's low calorie, it's going to be predominantly a carbohydrate, and usually a processed kind of protein because good quality protein is more expensive. Incidentally, alcohol is seven calories per gram. So if you're looking to drop your calorie intake, cutting out alcohol is the simplest way to go about it if you're consuming wine or a spirit regularly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So essentially back to like why we can be fooled by this is that we're not as interested as the calorie count as we are interested as to what's in that ingredient list. Yeah. What do you actually, what nutrients are you actually intaking for every bite? So if you're going to intake 200 calories, how do you get the maximum amount of nutrition? And this idea around calorie count really goes against a lot of conventional nutritional wisdom that was really looking at, you know, optimal calorie intake for the day, optimal exercise to burn those calories, what your body will naturally burn based on your metabolic rate and really focusing on the value and how can we get as much nutrition as possible in every bite. And that's another way that we get fooled by the label. Absolutely. So moving on to fortified foods. Right. Now, this is a huge red flag for me personally, because what it tells me is that whatever food has been fortified was so depleted in nutrients that the government went and said to the manufacturer, 
you have to put these nutrients back into the food to make it saleable on the shelf. So let's look at a few examples. What are some examples of fortified foods? Well, one of my favorites that makes absolutely no sense is vitamin D fortified skim milk because skim milk means the fat has been removed. So it can be fat-free or low-fat. But vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin. So you can't actually absorb the fat-soluble vitamins, which is vitamin A, D, E, and K in a fat-free food. Right. And why did it have to be put back in in the first place? I mean, shouldn't that cow have had enough vitamin A, D, E, and K? Yes. The answer is yes. Answer it is should yes. have been because, you know, if a cow is out grazing on grass, which it was meant to be, uh, out and out in the sun and living the good life, it's getting all those nutrients from its food and its environment. And then it's going into the its milk. And then the vitamin D should actually be there. But again, with skim milk, you're taking off that fat, which actually had those vitamins in it. And then they're being fortified with vitamin D, but unfortunately, it's not the natural form of vitamin D. It's a more synthetic form of vitamin D, which don't really work with a lot of people's bodies. Yeah. What kind of vitamin D are we looking for? Because you're going to get asked if you don't say Yeah, so. we want vitamin D3, cholecalciferol. And right. a lot of the times in these fortified foods, they're using D2. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And another one is all-purpose flour. Mm-hmm. So they fortify that with iron and all kinds of stuff that should be naturally occurring in a whole unprocessed grain. And lots of grain products. Yeah. Yeah, because in refined grains, they've taken away the husk or the fiber. They've taken away the germ. They're just left with the endosperm, which is the white part. The white, starchy, delicious part. And that is depleted of nutrients. I mean, we know this when we started to refine grains and, you know, the people who could afford it, the rich people, were getting diseases like beriberi. You know, mm-hmm. which, which, are, which are related to B vitamins and deficiencies in those B vitamins. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. Let's take a quick break here and meet Julie McLaughlin, a 2013 culinary nutrition expert graduate. Julie was part of our first group of online students, and upon graduating, she was quick out of the gate, starting a curated health inspired gift basket business that has since blown up. She has delivery available across North America. I even received two of her baskets as gifts after I had my son. As a multi-passion entrepreneur, culinary nutritionist, holistic lifestyle coach, mindful mom to three daughters, Julie founded Jules Baskets. I'll let Julie share her story. Hey, I'm Jules. I graduated from the CNE program in 2013. The program was a life-changing experience for me. It literally led me right into my current business and lifestyle. It was truly a catalyst for my passion-led business, life, and love for all things conscious living. I took the program because I wanted to learn more about food and nutrition, because as a mom, this was important for me. The course was super hands-on, and while being online, it was also easy to access. I completed it successfully, no problem, without it affecting my role as a wife and mom. The program opened my eyes and propelled me into a new way of thinking, believing, and living. I've taken all the things I've learned and applied them to all areas of my life. I've met some amazing friends, both professionally and personally. My business is founded on the concepts of what I've learned in the program. Jules Baskets is a health-conscious, focused gift basket company. While taking the program and receiving many gift baskets the holidays, I noticed the lack of healthier options in the gift basket industry. This is when I jumped all in. I look for products with real ingredients made close to home from small businesses whenever I can. Everything from gluten-free, 
vegan, keto, kosher, nut-free, and lots of allergen-friendly options. On top of that, I have a conscious lifestyle blog and online boutique where I share my passion for all things conscious living. You can connect with Julie directly at JulesBaskets.com or head over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast, select today's episode, and you'll find all the links to everything Julie is offering. As you go through our 14-week culinary nutrition expert program, you gain confidence in knowing how to read labels and like Julie, be able to know what products you want in your life and what you don't. I would love to invite you to learn more about our program. If you feel inspired, head on over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash program to learn more. We'd love to have you join us this September. Now let's get back to our conversation. So when we see foods that are fortified, what we're seeing is a processed food that's had its vital life capacity stripped away in favor of shelf stability. And then because people were developing sicknesses and illnesses and diseases, the government regulated that certain nutrients needed to be added back in or fortified. And they're typically the synthetic version. So not the optimal version your body could use. You know how expensive good quality supplements are when you need them. You know they're not putting that into your special case cereal. So the result is that we have people with severe calorie overload and nutrient deficiency. Yeah. And also just a quick aside is one of the nutrients they often fortify foods with is folic acid, uh, which is the unnatural form that we get in food. And many people have genetic mutations that actually push that folic acid into a toxic pathway and it can build up and create a lot of problems. So, you know, most people don't know if they have that genetic uh, situation in their body. So they should really be avoiding the synthetic form of folic acid. So the labels we've talked about that we see the most common that you definitely want to ignore or take with a grain of salt, dare I say, 100% natural or made from all natural ingredients, fat-free, sugar-free, low-sodium, low-calorie, fortified with. And so if you can strip all of that away and really look at that ingredient label, you're going to be heads and shoulders above in, and, and this is like very basic. You have no nutrition training and you already know more than most people about what to eat and why. Absolutely. So moving on to a label that actually means something, but also comes with a few little tricks involved as well. And that's- They're your, just, They just keep trying to fool us by they, the label. They just keep trying to fool us by the label. Are you going to sing? I was not, but it, it felt like a song was coming out of me. <laughs> Maybe a little jingle (laughs) fooled by the label. We'll see. We'll see what comes from my soul. But uh, organic. Yes. Organic. And there's two sides to the the organic discussion. Let's talk about the bright side first. I love covering the bright side first. And then we'll get into the doom and gloom. Then we'll get into the doom and gloom. Yeah. So when you're choosing something with the organic label, you can be assured that they're not using GMOs. They're not using specific nanotechnologies. They're not using artificial preservatives and colors, synthetic chemicals, herbicides, pesticides, fertilizer, sewage sludge, or irradiation. Sewage sludge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that they're using some biodynamic and good for the environment farm practices that are not just good for the environment, but also good for the food that they're growing. And that food is going to have more nutrition. In most cases. In most cases. And... One of the challenges with organic, and before you start, I was going to say tweeting, but does anyone tweet anymore? I'm not tweeting. 
I'm on Instagram though. But before you message us saying, yeah, but what about this that they now allow in organic food? And what about, you know, they're allowed to spray the soil before the plants come up. And yes, there absolutely is use of chemicals in organic farming, but it will be substantially less than the conventional counterpart. And I've often argued that they should not be calling organic food organic. It should just be food. And what if they called, instead of an organic avocado, they called the conventional variety a chemically grown avocado. Oh my God, how would that change people's decisions? What a paradigm shift right there. Right there. So the Environmental Working Group comes out with their Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 every year. So that's a great place to start in terms of budgeting for what you absolutely must be buying organic. One of the references I like to share when I do talks on the subject is about strawberries because everybody loves a good sweet strawberry. A conventional strawberry carries on average 45 pesticide residues. And this includes six known and probable carcinogens, seven neurotoxins, six developmental or reproductive toxins, and 12 honeybee toxins. So without honeybees, we have no food supply, just to put that into context. And what blows my mind is there continue to be agricultural industry-sponsored studies, if you go back far enough to find this out, that tout no beneficial difference between organic and chemically grown or conventional produce. And typically when they do these studies, they're looking at a very, very narrow field of what they consider to be healthful or unhealthful. And whether an organic carrot has more beta carotene than a conventional one can become irrelevant when you look at what the organic carrot does not have or what the organic strawberry does not have or what the organic peach or apple or spinach. Because at the very least, you know you're not getting this massive load of chemicals. And we talk a lot more about this in our detox episode as well. Right. And you mentioned that there's 45 chemicals on these things. They also don't look at at this thing called chemical synergy on how those chemicals interact with each other. We know that one chemical might have an effect that's, you know, a two and another chemical also two and combining them doesn't equal four. It equals many times as strong as that. That has never been studied and is not studied when we're looking at non-organic foods. So we got into the doom and gloom pretty quick. We got into the doom and gloom because... I don't know why organic feels the need, why it always has to be so defended, but it seems to always be on the defensive. It does cost more, it should, and it's worth it. Yeah, so bottom line, if you are getting any packaged foods, you definitely want to make sure that they have that organic certification on them. Now, how are we being fooled by that organic certification label or the USDA? And you probably can visualize what the the labels are. Well, one example is just a, a refined food right? So you can get white sugar that's organic. Yes. And then of course they can use things like that in processed foods. And sometimes people see that organic label and think, oh, it's organic. It must be healthy, but it's just a processed food and it's depleted and it probably is not going to provide any nutritional benefit to your life anyway. Do you Mm -hmm. know any examples of that, Meg? I know of the, I think of the wall of candy in the bulk bins in health food stores and say an organic macaroni and cheese in a box that at least it's an organic macaroni and cheese in the box. But why is anyone eating that anyway? Right. So it's not going to have the same chemicals. I think that the more popular brand has been slapped on the wrist for not actually even having any cheese. 
but you're still looking at powdered stuff. It's still a processed food. It still has very, very low nutritional value. You're not getting that power per bite. Yeah, another example that we see uh, in the fish world is that... I thought you were going to talk about the goldfish world. (laughs) Why? What's going on in the goldfish world? Like the crackers. Oh, those They're yellow. so far out of your realm that you didn't even think of they it. They make those those organic too. They have an organic version of those too. I think they're maybe ducks. I don't know if they're, they're fish, but I've written about that as well and why they don't belong in a lunchbox, which before you start yelling at me, read that post. And they're slightly a different color too. Yes. Because they don't use those. The, the tartrazine. Yeah, exactly. Scary stuff. But with real fish... like salmon and rainbow trout and other things like that. Uh, Sometimes we see an organic label. And of course, fish are supposed to be wild swimming in the ocean. Uh, That's the optimal. But when they're farmed in huge, you know, fish farms, and they give them organic feed, which could be whatever they choose, maybe not the indigenous diet of a fish, they can call that fish organic. Yes. And it's a similar process with organic meats, where they can be feedlot fed organic feed, not be given the same regiment of antibiotics and other preventatives, medical or pharmaceutical preventatives, but you're still not getting the chicken or the cow and the full expression of the chicken or the cow in their, the way they lived, the nutrition they got, the sun exposure, and they may still be, they will still be treated from sickness. And the closer these animals live together in unnatural environments, the higher rates of disease they have. So, just getting organic, just looking for that label, again, isn't necessarily enough and it continues to fool us. Another problem is with organic is sort of the monocropping or conglomerates where we have the centralized food system. So there's a few big companies often sort of looking like they're out of California. They have growers all over the place growing your raspberries and your cauliflower and they're sent to one central packaging system for distribution. And then when you run into a foodborne illness or food recall, it ends up impacting a dramatically large population, which is a massive waste of food and resources. And that can carry the organic certification. So in summary, how could we not be fooled by the organic label? Grow your own. (laughs) Grow your own optimally. But also, you know, looking at the food, looking at the ingredients, as we've already covered so far, as a start, making sure it's organic. And then really doing a little bit of research even sometimes on where that quality is coming from or where that food is coming from. So do we always eat organic in our house, Josh? No. No. We aim to. Our objective, our whatever it would be called, priority Hierarchy. Hierarchy. Good one. Is that we start with local and organic is optimal. Well, our backyard first is optimal. Then local organic from farmers, the farmer's market or local growers or local suppliers and farmers that we know through different CSAs and that sort of arrangement. Then we will look to organic from elsewhere. But I'm also extremely conscientious about how far it's actually traveling and whether it's a sustainable option. So, Right. We've seen peppers from Chile and apples from Israel. Like if that's organic and that's the only choice, we will not get that. Yeah. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. And so we really try to eat seasonally. So our first is organic and local. Our second is typically local. And then third, organic from far away. And local, we aim for low spray whenever possible. And that's sort of how we go. And yes, it is a little more complicated once you start thinking about it and learning about it. But once you've made up your mind about your own value system and what really matters 
it really just becomes effortless. And it's kind of nice to then have the variety through the year. And we eat a ton of whatever's in season when it's in season. And we talk about this too in our Eating Healthy on a Budget episode as well, that it really helps reduce food costs, especially when it comes to organic, which again, does cost more. So how do you offset that? And a great way is to, to eat as seasonally and locally as possible. Another good label that we would look out for with also one little negative side, which we'll get to, is the non-GMO verified label. And this has become a lot more popular and a lot more common amongst mostly health foods, right? Mostly health foods, because there was a movement that we wanted GMOs labeled, which industry has not yet accepted. And so it became, well, how do we then set ourselves apart? And so food companies started self-regulating and submitting their ingredients to this this organization to get the non-GMO label. So if GMOs won't be labeled, we'll label ourselves as non-GMO. Right. So, you know, again, people see that and they say, oh, non-GMO must be healthy. And that's how people get fooled. And sometimes that's a good thing. But again, going back to organic, if something's organic by default, it's non-GMO. Yes. And not sprayed with things like Roundup. Right. So with, you know, something could be non-GMO and still be sprayed with, with Roundup, as you just mentioned, can be grown in depleted soil. So the nutrients aren't really there. And it could also be monocropped, meaning big fields of one single crop, which is never meant to be the way that we grow any plant, you know, if you look in nature. And that creates a big problem. And if you're still doubting whether these pesticides and Roundup are really that bad for us, if you've been following the news, Monsanto recently lost, I think, the third giant lawsuit paying a couple $2 billion plus, plus, plus for their cancer You know what, Megan? The truth always comes out. I believe that in this world, we're always moving closer and closer towards the truth. I like to think so. Yeah. And those of you who are listening, you're moving closer and closer towards the truth. Hey, give yourself a pat on the back because we we recognize that this is a lot of information to take in. And the fact that you are here with us listening shows that you are seeking this knowledge and really want to improve and do more and do better for yourself and your families. And every effort really does matter. So Megan, recently I posted an Instagram where I kind of like scanned on a food product on like all the different labels on there. I I was just like blown away by how, like there was almost no room for the name of the product on that product. Yeah. So what are some that we see that are like really trendy right now? And that again, can fool us. Before we get to those ones, which we're going to get into. But there is a bonus awesome label that I think is worth touching on, which is fair trade. And we see it a lot with coffee and chocolate primarily that are coming from Central South America and Africa. And so fair trade is a great label to look out for. And it's not going to be on all foods, but on certain foods that are coming from other countries or overseas, because then you know that there's proper working conditions and fair wages for the farmers and growers and processors. And chocolate's a big one. And I hate to really put some bitterness into our favorite chocolates, but those big chocolate companies, farming in West Africa are using loads of pesticides. And there's a lot of controversy around child slave labor conditions in the harvesting. So suddenly those Halloween chocolate treats aren't tasting so sweet. Um, So you really want to look out for your fair trade on coffee and chocolate are two of the most popular and common ones that we 
consume in abundance in, you know, westernized cultures, westernized cultures. So please keep that in mind. Now to those trendy labels that health conscious people love to grab hold of, and they usually coincide with trendy diets. Right. So grain-free is a big one these days. I mean, we did talk a little bit about fat-free, which is sort of petering out in terms of a health trend. And people are understanding that fat and protein might actually have a a better place in our diet. So grain-free, a lot of people are cutting out getting on the paleo train. And paleo is even another label that's on there a lot. Uh, We also see keto on a lot of labels. And, you know, these three I just mentioned, which have a lot to do with a higher fat diet, aren't necessarily organic. No. Right? So they can still have quite a chemical load. They may not be non-GMO. They can be... completely conventional food, conventionally grown chemical Latin processed food, but just to have a collection of ingredients that allow them to fall into the paleo characteristics or qualifiers or fall into the keto qualifiers. Right. And I think people get excited too when they first learn about a diet. Like let's use the keto as an example, which is a very, very high fat diet, at least 75% fat. And when people start to learn about it, oftentimes the industry is not caught up yet with that information. And there aren't a lot of products out there that help serve that population. So, you know, a few start to come out and people get excited and want to buy that product. And again, they get fooled because it's like the only thing out there and they have, they need help. They need that bar that's now keto, or they need that shake that's now keto so that they can sustain the diet. Vegan is another label we see everywhere, which basically just means it contains no animal products, but it does not mean it's healthy. It does not mean it was ethically grown or harvested. It does not mean it was sustainably grown and harvested or produced. It just means it contains no animal-based products. And another one is raw. Again, 10 years ago when we started out, raw vegan was this huge movement. It was a huge wave that has petered out potentially because people actually could not sustain their health long-term or the financial costs, especially if you live in Canada, being raw vegan in January, isn't necessarily the best healthful or an environmental option. Yeah, raw squashes aren't that delicious. Raw squashes are not that delicious, but you can spiralize them. (laughs) So the raw and vegan, again, they don't really say anything about the quality of the food in it. Raw just means it was not cooked. And vegan just means it contains no animal products. So these are some of the labels that we see in abundance. We really notice it at the trade shows, the the health trade shows, that there's so many amazing new foods on the market that really cater to the specialized diets that are really genuinely helping people. But we're missing that key point of what other chemicals are in this and how was this grown and where was it grown and and those other things we want to keep in mind. And so even those of us who are extremely knowledgeable in the health field are being fooled by the label. Yeah. And I'm going to just blow away our audience right now and tell them that we've been fooled by the label in we the have. past. And that's actually why we wanted to talk about this in, in so much detail. But there are definitely a couple things that we go back to over and over and over again that kind of keep us on track, right? Because we have been to the trade shows where we're looking at all these cool new products and then I turn to Megan and what do I say to you? (laughs) She's drawing a blank. I'm drawing a blank. I'm like, sometimes he turns to me and says, I've got this great idea. (laughs) Or you know it's crazy. You know, no, no, and we're like, I've got this great idea. Let's start a chocolate company and we'll market it as being really high in antioxidants. (laughs) Right, we've seen a thousand of those. But I turn to her and I say, you know what, Meg? 
these are cool products, but none of them are organic. No. So organic is something that we definitely go back to a lot because it gives us all those guarantees. Again, staying away from the processed organic options. And we also really pay attention on ingredients. Very important for us. Yes. And we often leave these shows, by the way, because we too get sometimes get swept up in the hype and we leave with these tote bags full of stuff and we come home, we look at, we're like, this is just junk food. It's all just junk food with fancy labels. And yes, it might be more sustainable or it might contain organic ingredients or, you know, it might abide by, you know, our gluten-free and dairy-free life that we we choose to have in, in our home. But it's still not a vegetable. It's still not whole grains. It's still not whole unprocessed foods, which will always be your healthiest, most sustainable, and if you know how to cook them right, delicious options. So the conclusion of the fooled by the label discussion here is don't eat anything with a label. (laughs) (laughs) We we should have told you that in the first minute. We would have been, thank you for joining us. Have a great day. But sometimes those explanations, the hows and the whys are where the power comes so that you know why you're making the decisions and not just doing it because Megan and Josh said so. We want to thank you guys so much for joining us. And as always, there's more. We have an amazingly helpful list of resources ready for you, along with a downloadable cheat sheet of the most popular labels and what they mean, as well as the symbols you want to look out for. So head over to culinarynutrition.com forward slash podcast to access this episode's resources. And if you're feeling inspired and want more, join us for the Culinary Nutrition Expert Program. We offer the 14-week certification program every September and space is limited. You can learn more about our program at culinarynutrition.com and be sure to save your seat for an upcoming program information session at culinarynutrition.com forward slash info session. Knowledge is important, but applying that knowledge is where the power truly is. As I always say, the best way to get started is to get started. Take what you've learned and start applying it in your life. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and share it with your friends, other people where you think they would really benefit from this. We look forward to connecting with you again next time. Thanks for joining us. Bye.